0: Welcome to the Neshama Project podcast where we explore tools for living happier, healthier, more fulfilling lives. I'm Rabbi Ben Newman, and today we're going to be discussing the Jewish observance of Tisha B'Av, the 9th of Av, which falls this weekend. It is seen as the most mournful day on the Jewish calendar, because of many tragedies that occurred on this day. I'd like to talk a little bit today about some of the views of why some of these tragedies happened, including the destruction of the second temple. And I'd like to present a midrash, a a creative story from Rabbi Arthur Waskow On how we might move beyond the tragedies of human history and the suffering in our world and come to a place of peace and understanding between different peoples. And he focuses in on the Palestinian-Israeli conflict in this story Um, and... uh, You can develop your own opinion about the story it might be that the story is a little radical for you um, but for me it it, uh, is very powerful uh, even though it might feel a little bit transgressive so let's begin by looking at some of the reasons for the destruction of the temple uh, given by the rabbis. So this first one is from Masakhet Yoma, from the Talmud. Due to what reason was the first temple destroyed? It was destroyed due to the fact that there were three matters that existed in the first temple, idol worship, forbidden relations, and bloodshed. Idol worship, as it is written, etc., etc., etc. However, considering that the people during the second temple were engaged in Torah study, observance of mitzvot, and acts of kindness, and that they did not perform the sinful acts that were performed in the first temple, why was the second temple destroyed? It was destroyed due to the fact that there was wanton hatred during that period. This comes to teach you that the sin of wanton hatred is equivalent to the three severe transgressions idol worship forbidden relations and bloodshed so that's the first source the second source is also from the talmud from masachet gitin 55 a and b the gemara explains Jerusalem was destroyed on account of Kamtsa and bar This is as there was a certain man whose friend was named Kamtsa, and whose enemy was named bar He once made a large feast and said to his servant, Go bring me my friend Kamtsa. The servant went and mistakenly brought him his friend bar The host said to him, No, you must leave. bar said to him, I will give you money for half of the feast, just do not send me away. The host said to him, "No, you must leave." Barkamtsa then said to him, "I will give you money for the entire feast, just let me stay." The host said to him, "No, you must leave." Finally, the host took Barkamtsa by his hand, stood him up and took him out. After having been cast out from the feast, Bar said to himself, since the sages were sitting there and did not protest the actions of the host, although they saw how he humiliated me, learn from it that they were content with what he did. I will therefore go and inform against him to the king. He went and said to the emperor, the Jews have rebelled against you. The emperor said to him, who says that this is the case? Bar Kamsa said to him, go and test them, send them an offering to be brought in, in honor of the government, and see whether they will sacrifice it. The emperor went and sent with him a choice three-year-old calf. While Bar Kamsa was coming with the calf to the temple, he made a blemish on the calf's upper lip, and some say he made a, the blemish on its eyelid, a place where, according to us, In other words, Jewish law, it is a blemish, but according to them, Gentile rules for their offerings, it is not a blemish. Therefore, when Bar Kamsa brought the animal to the temple, the priests would not sacrifice it on the altar since it was blemished, but they also could not explain this satisfactorily to the Gentile authorities who did not consider it to be blemished. The blemish notwithstanding, the sages thought to sacrifice the animal as an offering due to the imperative to maintain peace with the government. Rabbi Zachariah ben Avkolas said to them, if the priests do that, people will say that blemished animals may be sacrificed as offerings on the altar. The sages said, if we do not sacrifice it, then we must prevent Bar Kamsa from reporting this to the emperor. The sages thought to kill him so that he would not go and speak against them. Rabbi Zachariah said to them, if you kill him, people will say that one who makes a blemish on sacrificial animals is to be killed. As a result, they did nothing. Barcom says slander was accepted by the authorities and consequently the war between the Jews and the Romans began. Rabbi Yochanan says, The excessive humility of Rabbi Zachariah ben Kolas destroyed our temple, burned our sanctuary, and exiled us from our land. So you can go back and listen to that story again and think about some of these questions. Who are the parties who contributed to the result what was each person's fault what was the straw that broke the camel's back do these issues that are presented here have any corollaries in a modern context and here's one more this is from the Talmud again tractate Baba Metzia, 30b 14 it was taught in the Baraita, quote, that they must perform, unquote. That is referring to acting beyond the letter of the law. As Rabbi Yochanan says, Jerusalem was destroyed only for the fact that they adjudicated cases on the basis of Torah law in the city. The Gemara asks, rather, what else should they have done? Should they have rather adjudicated cases on the basis of arbitrary decisions? rather say that they established their rulings on the basis of Torah law and did not go beyond the letter of the law. So you might want to think about what that means. The This idea that comes from Rabbi Yochanan that says that Jerusalem was destroyed because those who adjudicated the law were not willing to go beyond the letter of the law. They were too strict in their interpretation of the law. This sort of uh, could also go along with that Kamtsa and bar kamtsa story. So now I want to end with this beautiful Midrash, uh, this beautiful story from Rabbi Arthur Ocean and his wife, Rabbi Phyllis Ocean Berman, and this is uh, perhaps a controversial story, but I think it's it's a beautiful sentiment. Um, you can let me know if you're in touch with me what you think about this story. To the hills of Israel, where the air is clearest and it is possible to see the furthest, To the little town of Tzfat, which some call Safed, above the lake Kinneret in the Galilee, long ago there came a chassid, visiting from Vitebsk to see his rebbe. Struggling up hills over cobblestones through narrow alleyways, the chassid came panting, shaking, to the door of a pale and quiet synagogue. So pale, so quiet was this shul that the pastel paintings on the wall and ceiling stood out, as though they were in vivid primary colors. As the chassid came into the shul, he saw his rebbe high on a makeshift ladder, painting a picture on the ceiling above the bima. The chassid blinked, startled to see his rebbe with a paintbrush in his hand. And then he blinked again. He frowned and tugged at his beard. Rebbe, what is this that you are painting here above the bima? It looks like the dome that the children of Ishmael, the ones they call Muslims, have built above the rock where Abraham bound Isaac. The giant golden dome that they have built where stood the holy temple. I have just come from Jerusalem. It it looks... He stopped. The Rebbe's eyes turned inward. You know, he said, here in Sfat we live in the radiance of the Kabbalists who lived and taught here many years ago. The air here is so clear and their radiance, so pure, that with our outer and our inner eyes we can see and see and see so far. And I have seen, he said and paused. I have seen, he said and paused again. Looking and seeing, they can be so strange. For example, our sages teach us that when Mashiach comes, he will rebuild the holy temple in the twinkling of an eye. But often I ha- have I wondered, How can this be? Mashiach will be extraordinary, yet still a human being, merely. But now, I have seen, well, let me tell you. At the foot of the Western Wall, the wall where God's own presence weeps and hides in exile, I have seen hundreds of thousands of Jews gathered, singing. Mashiach has come, and they are singing, dancing as the great day dawns, women, men, together. I could not believe it, I was not even sure. He glanced apologetic at his chassid. Whether Mashiach was a... Well, forget it. I can see from the sun the heat. It is late afternoon, yet the crowd are wearing tefillin. The only time in all the year when Jews wear tefillin in the afternoon is Tisha B'Av. So I can see that it is the day of mourning for our beloved temple. And there are no signs of mourning, except perhaps the way... The wistful way, Mashiach reaches out to touch the wall, to tuck one last petition between the great carved stones. I see Mashiach speak a sentence to the crowds. I cannot hear the words, but I can see that from this voice there stirs a river. Like water from the ancient stones of wall, I see a stream of Jews flow up the stairway that rises to the Temple Mount. The river of people pauses on the steps. They cluster round a wrinkled, tattered piece of paper posted above the stairway. I see it is signed by the rabbis of that day. It warns all Jews to go no further, lest by accident they walk, God forbid, into the space set aside as the Holy of Holies. Mashiach reads and laughs and tears the sign to shreds. The stream of people shudders. Higher and higher. The crowd cascades from the stairway onto the great stone pavement of the Temple Mount. Their singing turns to the thunder of a great waterfall. They look toward the other end of the Mount, toward the great golden dome of the rock where Abraham bound his son for sacrifice. Surrounding the dome are thousands of these children of Ishmael, these Muslims. They are not singing, they are shouting, furious, stubborn, and not here, they shout in unison, not here. You will not tear down our holy mosque to build your Jewish temple. But I can hear the crowd of Jews muttering, whispering, right here, yes, this is the place. No doubt, no doubt, the ancient studies tell us that it is the place. Mashiach is quiet. The sea of Jews falls to a murmuring, falls silent. They turn to watch. Mashiach looks, gazes, embraces with fond eyes the holy space. Mashiach's eyes move across the dome, its golden glow, the greens and blues and ivories of the walls beneath it. I hear a whisper from Mashiach's lips. So beautiful. The Muslims, too, are silent now. The stillness here, the stillness there, so total, they split the Holy Mount in two. Mashiach raises one arm, slowly, slowly. The Muslims tense, lift knives and clubs and shake them in the stillness. The Jews tense, ready to leap forward with their picks and shovels. Mashiach points straight at the dome. The peoples vibrate two separate phantom ram's horns in the silent air wailing forth a silent sob to heaven mashiach speaks quietly into the utter quiet this green this blue this gold this dome this is the holy temple i blink for seconds minutes there is not a sound then i hear a muslim shout See him raise a knife. No, no, you will not steal our holy mosque to make your Jewish temple. He throws the knife. It falls far short. No one stirs. The other Muslims turn to look at him. They look with steadfast eyes. No joy, no anger. They just keep looking. He wilts into the crowd. I can no longer see what he is doing. Mashiach steps forward. One step. Everyone, Jew and Muslim, breathes a breath. (sighs) One Jew calls out, You must not do this. You must not use their dirty place to be our holy temple. Tear it down. We need our own. The prophets teach how wide and how tall it is to be. It is not this thing of theirs, this thing of curves and circles. He takes a step forward toward Mashiach, lifts an axe to brandish it. The man beside him reaches out a hand and takes the axe, just takes it. There is a murmur, but the murmur dies. The man holds the axe level in both hands, walks out with it into the no-man's land between the crowds. He lays it on the pavement next to the Muslim knife. He backs away. There is another time of quiet. Two Muslims reach out from the crowd, toss their knives to land next to the axe. The pause is shorter. This time. Then, on every side, weapons come flying through the air to land beside the axe, beside the knives. There is a pile. Somehow, I cannot see how, there lights a fire. The pile begins to burn. The flames reach up and up and up to heaven. So I have seen, the Rebbe said. Mashiach built the temple in the twinkling of an eye, and that is why I am painting this dome upon our ceiling. The visitor took breath again. And why, he said, why would Mashiach do this dreadful thing? The Rebbe put his arm around his hostage's shoulder. You still don't see, he said. Even here in Svat, you still don't see? I think Mashiach had four reasons. First, for the sake of Abraham's two families. Second, for the sake of the spirals twirling in the dome. Third, for the sake of the rock beneath the dome. And fourth, for the sake of the twinkling of an eye. And Rebbe, why did the people burn their weapons? For the sake of the burnt offering. It is written that when the temple is rebuilt, there must be burnt offerings. And it is also written, choose. Choose what? Choose what to burn, each other and the temple yet again, or the things we used to burn each other with. So, said the chassid, dear Rebbe, you are saying that the dome, it really is our temple? Forgive me Rebbe, but I have a different seeing. Where they raised up the, Where they raised up the burnt offering, I think must be the temple, the empty space, the empty space where the offering went up in flames to heaven. The empty space between them, where they burn the weapons. Perhaps that is the temple. Ours and theirs. The Rebbe turned, astonished, to gaze more deeply into the Chassid's eyes, and then together, each with an arm around the other's shoulder, together they walked to the where, to where their eyes could look, far, far beyond the hills, much farther than the lake they call Kinneret. So this is the Midrash I'd like to offer us on this Tisha B'Av. And if you'd like to discuss it with me, uh, either on Zoom or in person, you can come to Pleasantville Community Synagogue on August 6th at 8pm, or you can tune into Zoom. The link is available on Facebook or Uh, You can also find the link if you send me a private message or email me, RabbiBenNewman at gmail.com, and I will send you the link. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me. I hope everybody has a meaningful Tisha B'Av. Until next time, this has been the Neshama Project Podcast. Take care.